Hello and welcome to the Grace Place NYC. We are a church in the neighborhood of Hamilton Heights in Harlem. Our purpose is to live for Christ, love the lost, and transform our culture. The title of my message this morning is, Are You Trapped? Are You Trapped? Uh, one of the things that absolutely terrifies my family are insects of any kind. Okay? Flies, bees, definitely roaches, spiders, or any other crawling insect, whether it's crawling or flying, any way they come, Boston, Avia, and Priscilla, which she imparted that fear to them, they're absolutely terrified of bugs. And I'm the only one in our home not terrified of insects, so I am tasked with the responsibility to uh, take care of these insects when they see them. Uh, in fact, while we were in Florida, we were on our way to the evening service at the conference we were attending, and all of a sudden, I, uh, Priscilla in the passenger seat, she just, we were at a stop sign, she screams, she opens the door and gets out in the middle of the street, okay? And I said, what's going on? She said, spider, okay? And so I had to, I had to stay there in that lane, reach my foot over, stomp on the spider, and when I lifted up my foot, I didn't see the spider, so I thought it was on the bottom of my shoe. And so then I, I went outside of my door and tried to kick it off. I didn't see it under my shoe. I looked on the road, and I didn't see it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, yeah, I, did, I don't know where that spider went, but she was so hysterical that I was like, if I tell her I didn't find it, uh, I don't know what's going to happen. We're just going to be in the road and miss the whole conference, so... Uh, anyways, you survived though, love, okay? So <laughs> my family is absolutely terrified of insect. And at home, we have insect traps that we have set up in our apartment. And the way these insect traps work is that there is a bug poison mixed in with a sticky substance that is mixed in with something enticing. And so when the bugs uh, climb and crawl onto the trap, they get stuck there until they die. And can I tell you that this is how life works sometimes? There are desires in our lives that are enticing, and sometimes they're even good things, okay? But when our heart exalts these desires to an unhealthy place, they can actually work as a trap to slowly but surely kill our spiritual lives. And some desires don't stop with our spiritual lives. They will kill other parts of our lives. Like if, if we have untapped desires that overtake us, they can actually kill our marriages. They can kill our friendships. They can even destroy our careers. And some desires, if not curbed or done away with, can actually take our lives. I know probably all of us know someone in our life where their life was taken early because of some sort of addiction that they never could get a handle on. So we're going to be looking at a passage in the book of Proverbs today. I'm going to be in uh, Proverbs 10. I'm going to read verse number 24, and it should be up on the screen for you to read along. And it says this, What the wicked dread will overtake them, what the righteous desire will be granted. Many believers here in America will look at a verse like this, or Matthew 21, 22, where Jesus says, if you believe whatever you ask for, you will receive and think, well, gosh, what a good deal I have. If I serve God, he's going to give me everything I want and everything I desire. He's going to give me that raise at work because the scripture says 
that I'm going to get all of my desires. He's going to give me that bigger house. He's going to give me that nicer car. He's going to give me that perfect spouse now that I have secured my career. He's going to agree with how I feel about a certain situation in my life, even though the scriptures call it sin, but because he's going to uh, give me all of my desires, he's going to have to agree with me. And he's going to strike down with lightning anyone who mistreats me because the Bible says my desires will be granted. The problem with this is that what we're really doing is taking these verses out of context and by doing so, we essentially are creating a God in our own image and likeness. I love what Tim Keller said. He said this, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. And sadly to say, I believe a lot of people in the Western church are worshiping that God. Uh, what I just described there is a self-created figment of our imagination. It is not the God of the Bible. It is not the Jesus that died for our sins and rose again. That's a genie in a bottle God, not the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise God of the Bible. Notice in the verse I read to you a moment ago that King Solomon, who was the author of this proverb, says, the desire of the righteous, the desire of the righteous, will be granted. We understand that being righteous isn't fulfilling a list of do's and don'ts, right? That's not what righteousness means. We understand that being righteous is not just good behavior. In the broader context of the story of the Bible, I think what is being said here is that the righteous means someone whose heart and desires and life are surrendered to God. They are submitted to God, someone who understands that the heart is exceedingly wicked, so they clothe themselves in a righteousness that is not their own, but a righteousness found in the person of Jesus Christ. It's a person that understands that our righteousness does not come from what we do or don't do. It comes from Jesus Christ, the perfect, sinless Son of God. That is someone whose desires will be granted. Listen, if God gave you and I everything we desired, he wouldn't be a kind God, okay? Because if God gave us everything we wanted, it would probably destroy us, okay? Our desires come from our heart, and our heart is not just merely emotions or feelings. Biblically speaking, our heart is made up of our affections, our trusts, and our deepest loves, Okay? That's why Jesus said, where your heart is, your affections, what you put your trust in, is where your treasure will be also. Okay? Now, while the ideology of our culture tells us that we should express our deepest desires because that is who we really are, wisdom recognizes that our desires or our over need to fulfill those desires can actually and will actually trap us. While Western culture tells us that freedom comes through our individual rights, the Bible teaches us that true freedom comes from denying ourselves and not being mastered by anything. That is what true freedom is. It's not being able to express our individual rights. It's being able to say no to something that if it's not tamed and if it's not, if it's not contained, it will master us. Saying no to that, denying or having the power to deny ourselves, that is where true freedom so is found. 
Proverbs 11.6 says, The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires. I want to talk to you about four traps that unordered desires can bring about in our lives today. Because if our desires are not ordered properly, these desires can actually become idolatrous to us. They can serve as functioning saviors in our lives. And the four traps we're going to be going through, I got from Tim and Kathy Keller's book, God's Wisdom for Navigating Life. So the first trap I want to talk about today is the trap of approval, the trap of approval, also known as the fear of man or a people pleaser, okay? Maybe you are that today. Uh, Galatians 1.10 says this, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul made this statement in response to some people in the church who were criticizing Paul and saying that he was a fake and a phony because he wasn't one of the 12 apostles that walked with Christ during the time uh, that Jesus was walking on this earth. And Paul basically responds to them by saying, listen, the gospel I preached to you was what I received directly from God. And a little criticism isn't going to derail my ministry because I don't live for the approval of man. I live for the audience of one. Okay. And so you criticizing me is not going to stop me from doing what God has called me to do because I am not living for your approval. I am living for the approval of God. You see, because if we look to people more than we look to God for approval, we will become enslaved to what those people we're seeking approval from think about us. We will be afraid to make difficult decisions out of a fear of what someone else might think or what someone else might say. If we're trying to find our worth in someone other than God, it will create angst in our lives. Okay? We will no longer make decisions based on our values or convictions. We'll worry about whether those people will like our decisions or not. And we'll base them on that. And if someone disapproves of a decision we have made, it will absolutely devastate us. We'll constantly be second-guessing ourselves, looking over our shoulders, thinking about whether everybody will be happy with the decision we made because we fear man and we want the approval of man more than God. The trap of approval will create in us an over-need to please people. In my world as a pastor, this might look like me not preaching something difficult that you need to hear out of a fear that someone might get upset with me. Or it might look like a tough decision that needs to be made for the betterment of the grace place that I shy away from because I fear that someone might leave the church if I make that tough decision. Even though it's better for the church because I fear what someone might do, I shy away from that tough decision. In your life, this over-need to please might look like you not ever being able to say no to anything. You've heard this before, but some people, instead of a to-do list, they need a not-to-do list because they are not doing what they need to be doing because they're so busy doing what everyone else wants them to do. Some of you need to start saying no. And some of you are saying no to the church because you are saying yes to everyone else, and so you don't have any energy to give to what you're doing at the church. We say no to the wrong things so that we can say yes to the right things. 
We don't say no just so we can be lazy and not have anything to do. We say no to the wrong things so that we can say yes to the right things in our lives. I've admitted to this to you before, but I am a people pleaser. I don't like it when someone I care about is mad at me. I, I, I like pleasing everybody around me, but it can get unhealthy sometimes. There are times in my life that I don't confront things when I need to, and I, and I allow things to go too long. When it should have been confronted here, I wait till here, and in between, I could have, I could have, uh, I could have solved a bunch of problems that happened in, in this place if I had just confronted it right here. But because of my need to please, sometimes I wait too long to confront. But here's the truth of the matter. If we live like this, we are keeping people from growing because of our unwillingness to confront, yeah. which is rooted in our need for approval. So how do we get out of this trap of approval if you find yourself there today? 1 John 4.18 says this, There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. As you meditate on the truth of this scripture and allow it to penetrate your heart and renew your mind, that fear of man will start to be driven out. Okay? So before I move on to the second trap, I want you to ask yourself, if there is anyone in your life that you, you desire, you crave their approval more than God's approval. I want you to think about that for a moment. Maybe this need for approval is keeping you in an unhealthy, dysfunctional relationship. And you should have done broken it off a long time ago. But because you desire their approval more than God's approval, you're staying in an, maybe an abusive relationship, an unhealthy relationship, a, a dysfunctional relationship. Maybe you desire the, the approval of your spouse more than God. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a friend that you desire their approval more than God. Trap number two is the trap of comfort. The trap of comfort. Proverbs 20, 13 says this. Do not love sleep. Do not love sleep or you will grow poor. Stay awake and you will have food to spare. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 says this. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. When I say that an over-desire of comfort can be a trap, what I'm talking about is the desire to always take the easy way out. Yeah. To always take the easiest road possible. Taking the risk out of every area of your life. This trap can also be an over-desire of physical pleasure. Some people's entire purpose for existing is simply to live a more comfortable life. That is their mission in life. That is their purpose in life. That is, that is why they exist, so that they can make themselves more 
comfortable. So they're working towards a bigger house where there's nothing wrong with that, but that's their whole purpose in life. They're working towards a nicer car. They're working towards living in a better neighborhood. They're working towards enough money to be able to buy whatever they want. They're working towards getting the newest gadget as soon as it hits the market in order to make their life easier and more comfortable. And that is why they live. That is why they exist. That is their entire purpose in life. And here's what happens with people who have fallen into the trap of comfort. Anything that threatens the comfort of their lives, they simply remove from their lives. Anything that threatens that comfort, they simply remove it. So this might look like maybe an opportunity to be a part of a startup company that will require them to leave the certainty of their current nine to five. And they don't step out and do that because they're comfortable in their nine to five. Maybe the opportunity to be a part of a church plant that they bypass in order to be in an established church where everything is already there for them and they don't have to be a part of the building process. Maybe it's an opportunity to go from spectator to participator in their local church and start to serve in a ministry. Maybe this looks like developing a friendship with someone that you normally wouldn't connect with. And, and, and because it starts to threaten your, your comfort zone, it starts to threaten what you're comfortable with, you simply remove that from your life. But let me tell you something. You will never grow to another level by staying in your comfort zone. You're never going to grow to another level by staying where you're currently at. You've got to do something uncomfortable. You've got to do something different. You, you got to do something that might make you feel awkward. You, you got to do something that you've never done before in order to go to the next level. There is so much more to life than simply being more comfortable today than you were yesterday. Okay. Jesus does not exist to make your life easier. In fact, he said that whoever finds their life will lose it and whoever loses their life will find it. He isn't worried about making your life easier. He wants to make you useful in his kingdom. That's what he's concerned with. That's what Jesus is worried about. He calls us to join him in impacting the world with his love and with his kindness. He calls us to serve others and lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters the way he did. Trap number three, the trap of power. The trap of power. Have you ever met someone that their personality, their, 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 everything they're like completely changes if you give them just a little bit of power. They, <laughs> they go from being this quiet, humble person. You give them a little power, they start ordering everybody around. They start telling everybody what, they start just cracking the whip like crazy. You just give them a little power, you give them an inch and they take a mile. You ever met someone like that? Sure. The trap of power. People who over-desire power tend to use their power to bring others lower. Yeah. Okay? They tend to use their power to benefit and serve themselves. The, the power makes them feel like they have value and worth. It strokes their ego. But Jesus showed us a different purpose for power. He used his power to serve his disciples and to serve mankind. In fact, he laid down his power in order to step into humanity. And while he was here on earth, he served and loved and gave away his life. Luke 22, 24 through 27 says this, A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. 
Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. Verse 26. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Even though Jesus had every right to be seated at the table of honor, he chose to be a servant. He chose to leverage his power to elevate those around him. If if you think about it, when Jesus healed people during his earthly ministry, not only did they receive physical and emotional healing, but they were also accepted back into society. Because of many of these sicknesses and defects that these people had, It actually caused them in the Jewish culture to be outcasts or to be considered unclean. And so when they were healed, not only did they receive emotional and physical healing, they were allowed back into their society that they were banned from. Okay, So we see here that Jesus was constantly using his power to elevate others. He always elevated, whether it was women, whether it was Uh, exceedingly sinful people, adulterers, uneducated, ordinary men, anybody that was around him, Jesus constantly elevated them. He used his power to elevate other people. And trap number four is the trap of control. Do we have any control freaks in here? Anybody admit that they are control freaks? Okay. Uh, Have you ever had a controlling boss? You ever have a controlling boss, someone that micromanaged you and didn't let you make any decisions? Ever been under someone like that? Uh, A controlling person, uh, they have trouble delegating because they're afraid that someone else won't do the job exactly like they would do it. Or they have a controlling person has problems delegating because they're afraid that if they delegate to you, you might do a better job than them and you you might actually outshine them. And so they want control over you and the situation, so they have a hard time delegating everything. But, but if a controlling person does delegate, every single detail needs to go through them. It's not fun being under someone who is controlling, is it? Maybe you had a mom or dad that was controlling. They had your entire life mapped out and planned out by the time you turned five. Right? And maybe as you got older, they used guilt or manipulation to try and get you to do what they wanted you to do. I had a spiritual leader in my life many years ago that this person used guilt and manipulation to get what they wanted or to punish you. Okay? And, and, and if you questioned this person in any way, this person would give you the silent treatment. He stopped returning phone calls. He stopped returning emails. This was before we all texted each other. This was a long time ago. Um, And if you were in a room with him face-to-face, he would give you the silent treatment until he was ready to talk to you again. But it was always under his terms. The greatest fear of a control freak is uncertainty. The greatest fear of a control freak is uncertainty. Not knowing what's going to happen next. Not knowing all of the details. A control freak does not have the art of flexibility. They're not flexible at all. If anything changes in the plans, they, 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 they just go crazy and it ruins their entire day. 
Okay? Before they make any decision, they want to be certain that everything is going to work out or they won't pull the trigger. But Jesus spoke to this in Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 31. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The byproduct of an over-desire to control is worry and anxiety. We worry that something might not turn out the way we controlled it to turn out. We can't sleep at night because of the anxiety that comes from the possibility that a wrench might be thrown into our plan. And what do we do if everything doesn't fall into place the way I controlled it to and planned it to and managed it to? What, what if something happens and, and we have all this anxiety and stress and we're up at night just, just, just worrying and worrying and worrying and make our, make our, making ourselves sick because we have fallen into the trap of trying to control everything. But I think this passage that Jesus spoke gives folks who desire to control everything real freedom. It is freeing to know that me worrying about tomorrow isn't going to change anything about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough troubles of its own. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Okay. What benefit is any of my worrying going to do for me? Absolutely nothing. What's going to happen tomorrow is going to happen. So you and I worrying and being anxious and staying up all night, because of it, it's not going to change anything. If you struggle with an over-need to control, let me help you by telling you something, okay? You do not know what tomorrow brings. You don't know the future. Only God knows the future. And so you can inhale and exhale and think the world does not revolve around me and I can't control everything, so I need to just stop trying, okay? Now, I'm not saying don't plan for the future or don't prepare for the future because Proverbs and the Bible also says that the sluggard does not prepare, so when it's time to eat, he has nothing, okay? But just as it's wrong not to plan or prepare, it's wrong to think that we can somehow control the future by our over-planning. In other words, don't put your confidence in your ability to control the future by planning and managing everything to a T. Give yourself permission to adjust when life brings you something that you weren't able to predict. When something happens in your life out of the blue or something that you didn't see coming, give yourself permission to be able to adjust and say, you know what? What's that saying? Life, if life gives you lemons, just make lemonade. Give yourself permission to do that, okay? Not everything has to be perfect like Bevelyn was talking about during her testimony. Not everything has to be perfect in order for something good to come out of it, amen? Give yourself permission to adjust when life brings you something you weren't able to predict. So as I'm coming to a close today, if we have fallen into any of these traps of desiring things over our desire for what, God, uh, for what God wants or over our desire for God himself, what should we do? Well, we need to reorder our desires. Some of you in this place, you need to reorder and reprioritize 
your desires. And we're given some clues on how to do this in Proverbs chapter 23. Verses 17 through 19, it says this, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. There is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. Listen, my son, and be wise, and set your heart on the right path. So if you found yourself trapped by one of these desires today, you first, in order to reorder your desires, you need to use your mind to meditate and think about the things in your lives that are going to actually last. This passage says there is a future hope, a hope that will not be cut off. At the end of the day, is the anxiety in my life caused by my need to control everything worth it? Or do I need to let go of the control? Do I just need to let go and breathe a little bit? Is the power that makes me feel good about myself, at the end of the day, is it going to last? Do I really want to leave a trail of people that are hurt because I used them to get to where I wanted to go? Do we really want to leave a trail of injured people that we walked over as we were climbing up the corporate ladder. Is it really worth it? Is that going to last? Is the comfort and pleasure that I so desire going to last? Am I going to be able to take those things that I deem so important right now with me into heaven? Am I going to be able to take any of those things with me? Are any of those things going to enter into eternity when I do? Those things that I just think are so important in my life. I just have to have that. I can't live without this. Is it going to last? Am I responsible for my obedience to God or to make sure everyone is happy with me? What is my responsibility? Is it to please God or to please everybody around me? Is it to be obedient to God or to make sure nobody's mad at me? Secondly, we need to set our heart on prayer, worship, and devotion until we are in awe of God's beauty and God's love. It says, but always be zealous for the fear of the for the fear of the Lord. Zealous. Being zealous means being passionate. Cultivate that zeal for the fear of the Lord through your prayer and worship. Allow the Spirit to reorder the desires of your heart as you set your heart on the right path. See, the Holy Spirit will reorder those desires as you welcome Him and invite Him into your life. Allow your heart to be primed by the Spirit through an openness to Spirit-led prayer and Spirit-led worship. And third, set your will on obedience to the Father by not envying or wanting to be like the people you see succeeding through ruthless and heartless actions. See, there will be people in your lives. They walk over people and, and, and they're powerful right now. They use people and they've got the power right now. They're they're, they're successful in the world's eyes right now, but it's not going to last. And Jesus does not call us to be like that. He calls us to be the opposite. He calls us to empower and elevate those around us, not to walk on those around us. Obey the Lord whether you feel like it or not. 
There are many days in my life that I don't feel like obeying God, but I do it anyway because I want to please the Father. Because I want the blessings of obedience. Because I, at the end of the day, I want Jesus to say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear. And so even on the days I don't feel like obeying Him, I do. And that's the same call for you. Walk in integrity even when you see others succeeding through corrupt ways. Just because you see others succeeding through, through unintegral ways, we are called to be integral. We are called to be honest. We're called to be truth tellers. E even if it sets us back for the moment. E even if it's not advantageous to us in our current situation and circumstance, we're called to be honorable even when we see others being corrupt and succeeding and being promoted because they'll be found out. And if they don't, God sees it all. They'll have to pay the consequences at some point. And understand that you have a future hope and an inheritance through Jesus Christ. That's why we don't hope in what the world has to offer. That's why we don't put our hope in the riches of this world. That's why we don't put our hope in the titles and the power and, and what the world de deems a success because we have an inheritance that is eternal. We have an inheritance from Jesus Christ who is seated at the right hand of the Father who made a public spectacle of the devil and his demons and who is ruling and reigning and has given us his authority and, and, and his inheritance is our inheritance. And so that is why we don't have to be depressed when we see the, the stock market crashing. And we don't have to get overly happy when we see the stock market rising. We don't have to be depressed if our bank account is low and we don't have to be overly happy when our bank account is full. Because we don't put our trust in worldly riches. We put our trust in the inheritance that comes from Jesus Christ that has eternal worth and eternal value. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray.